Matthew, starting at 21. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied with a colt with her. Loosen them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, lowly and humble, and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded, um, commanded them. They brought the donkey and the colt, laid their clothes on them, and set, set him on them. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? So the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. And may God bless the reading to us. Now, if I, if I told you about a, a Bible passage that's about a king, uh, a king who is betrayed by a friend, and that betrayer then hangs themselves, uh, the king is plotted against by Jerusalem's leaders uh, to take his life. Uh, he's persecuted, he's insulted, uh, he's hunted down. He comes to the Mount of Olives, this king, uh, accompanied by a group of his followers. And the king weeps over all that's happening and over his children who plot against him. His enemies turn the crowds against him. But his friends bring a donkey and bread and wine for him. Eventually there is a death on a tree in this passage and there's a spear driven into the heart and the king in this passage speaks about wanting to die in the enemy's place who what would i be talking about do you think jesus i could well be talking about jesus but i'm actually talking about a story in the old testament in 2 samuel uh, chapters 15 to 18 which is actually the story of david and absalom and that passage people have long recognized actually is a kind of precursor. It, it has many connections to, as you rightly say, the story of Jesus later on, where all those same things are contained in the story of Jesus. But the, in the story, the reason I'm mentioning the story of David, King David and, and his son Absalom hunting him down to kill him and take his throne is because it's actually the first place in the Bible that we hear about the Mount of Olives. And the reading we read for Palm Sunday in Matthew 21 tells us that it was on the Mount of Olives that Jesus approached Jerusalem. The Mount of Olives has actually become associated in the Bible with the, the idea of a struggle for kingship, a struggle for true power. 
it, it's been a site of disputed rule, you know, and the people have been, it's become almost a, a place where the people's decision about who they want as king and what sort of king they want has almost met on that Mount of Olives in the Bible. And actually, each time I think it's been teaching us the Mount of Olives and, and the crowd's varying response to who is king, it's teaching us uh, about how we get a wrong idea of power or have a wrong approach to power and to, and to who we want as king. You know, we will make, we will grab after power in our own lives instead of listening to what God says about the power of, of him, of our God, and of the King Jesus that he sent. So, so the Mount of Olives uh, in David and Absalom's story, that David was fleeing. He was going the opposite direction to what Jesus came. But David was fleeing from his son Absalom. But it was very much there that you see half the people had sided with Absalom and his kind of power, where you just take power. But there were still some who stuck with David, who had been a good king, God's chosen king uh, for Israel. A bit later on in the Old Testament, the Mount of Olives is spoken of again, this time in, in the prophecy of Zechariah. And again, Zechariah sees the Mount of Olives of a place where a king will stand, the king this time, the Messiah. But the Messiah is, is a word that the Old Testament uses for God's final promised king. You know, when all the other kings have failed, ultimately, you know, they were, some were better, some were worse. God said, one day there'll be one king that comes that I will send, and you won't need another king after that, because he will be everything that you need and everything God said he desired. And Zechariah, the prophet, looked ahead to that king, the Messiah, standing once again on the Mount of Olives. And if you read that passage, it's a dramatic passage. It's Zechariah 14. I mean, it's almost like that in that passage, uh, it pictures the Mount of Olives actually splitting in half. And it speaks of all, all the violent struggles for power that the world has known. And, and in Zechariah's prophecy, it's almost like all that violent struggle for power has culminated when this king, the Messiah, stands there upon the Mount of Olives. And it's almost like all the best and worst we can imagine come together there the worst that the world does the best that God gives come together in that prophecy and there's this Messiah King and we're wondering who wins you know if you read the chapter later there's there's some awful things that are described but then there's that King and in the end it said the Lord will be King over the whole earth it says on that day there'll be one Lord and his name will be the only name so I think that, that prophecy this time, you know, you've got to remember that was given before Jesus, the Messiah, actually came. You know, maybe that was asking the people and asking us, what sort of king do we want? Do we want another king whose power is a form of violent taking, you know, uh, the biggest and the best, the strongest, the one who can trample on the most people gets to the top? We often think like that. We often see power like that. But God keeps challenging us to see his power differently. And that's where I want to come to Matthew's gospel. 
Because I want you to see in Matthew's gospel, if you've got a Bible with you, that will be great. I, I would have done a PowerPoint, but I just didn't get time this week. Um, because I want, I want you to look, first of all, at the reading we, we had a look at earlier, Matthew 21. But I want you to see that there are a lot of connections with this chapter, the triumphal entry of Jesus, and a later chapter, chapter 26, in which we read about the Last Supper, when Jesus broke bread and shared wine with his disciples. So in Matthew 21, this is the triumphal entry, Palm Sunday, and it mentions that it was on the Mount of Olives, verse 1, uh, Jesus approached in Jerusalem and he came to the Mount of Olives. He then uh, tells his disciples, go and find something for me, uh, in verse 2, go and find a, a donkey that Jesus would then ride into the city. Uh, we've then got a quote from Zechariah. Uh, it's in verse 5 of Matthew 21. Uh, we've got a quote there from uh, Zechariah chapter 9. And, uh, and there are people calling Jesus the Lord. If you've got your Bibles, turn on to chapter 26 of Matthew's Gospel. Because this chapter echoes a lot of those things. So we, we mentioned that the Palm Sunday begins there on the Mount of Olives. Uh, in verse 30 of chapter 26, we realize that after they'd had bread and wine together, they went out again to the Mount of Olives, verse 30 of chapter 26. There's, um, there's after that, there's another quote from Zechariah uh, on into, into verse 31. I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Um, there's also another, another occasion where Jesus says to his disciples, go and find something, as I tell you. This time in verse 18, Jesus says to the disciples, go into the city and you'll find someone who'll give you a room for the Passover. And of course, once again, that Jesus is called Lord here. So I think Matthew is deliberately linking these two things together. Firstly, Jesus arriving in Jerusalem and everyone saying, yay, you're the king. You're God's king at last who's going to save us. And then chapter 26, where the king, Jesus, talks to them about what that's going to look like. And in chapter 26, what it's going to look like, he says, is him giving his life for us. So he breaks bread and he says that this bread is my body. This is what I'm going to give myself. I'm actually going to give up my life, not take life from others, but give up my life. And the wine, the cup, is his blood, he says. It represents the fact that he's going to pour out his blood for many, it says, for the forgiveness of sins. And then he immediately says, and this is about his kingdom, because he's drinking this for the last time before he drinks it together with his people in the kingdom of his father. So this is all, these passages are both about kingship. They're all both about what it means for somebody to truly be king in our lives. But they're so challenging to us because, again, it comes back to that question, what sort of king do we want? What sort of king do we hope for? What sort of ruler do we think this world needs, both in our own lives and in the lives of others? Jesus seems to be wanting us to see here that actually, despite our, often what our ideas of power are, what we actually need is a king 
who will give his life for us. We need exactly who he is, one who would die for our sins, one who will show us the way into a better kind of life and a better kind of world as we follow him and listen to him. It's interesting that um, at the end of David and Absalom's story, it's a really sad story, David and Absalom's story, um, there's a kind of conclusion to it all. So this is back in, in 2 Samuel chapter 19. In the end, I don't, if you know the story, but Absalom's coming to get David to kill him and he gets stuck in a tree, Absalom does, David's son, this is. And uh, despite the fact that David had said, don't hurt my son, one of David's men goes and drives a spear into him and kills Absalom. And they come to David with the news and they think he's going to, th- we're not sure as we read, is, how's David going to take this? Is it good news? Is it bad news? And the messenger says, your enemy's been defeated. And David just goes to pieces. He just says, my son, my son, Absalom, my son. It's a, it's a tragic chapter. And, and the conclusion in chapter 19 uh, is this. Victory that day was turned into mourning. Isn't that sad? But there's a real contrast when we come to the story of Jesus. Because as Jesus said, he was going to go to the cross. He was going to die for us. And they, they wept. But do you remember what Jesus said to his disciples just before he got to that crucifixion and died? He said, you will weep, but your weeping will turn to joy. It's like the opposite of David's story where the victory turned into sadness. Jesus said this time, now that he's here, the sadness will be turned into joy. And that was, of course, because of his resurrection. So what, what a, how powerful the Bible is in showing us, I think, I think you, you know, we see all these similarities in so many stories through the Bible. And I think God is kind of telling us, look, this is, this is how it is in the world. This is the mistakes we often make. This is the struggles we often experience as human beings. And it shouldn't surprise us that the stories from so long ago in the Bible are stories, you know, as, as, as we prayed earlier, you know, stories of sadness that we're still witnessing in our world today as, as people struggle to take power and have what they want. What's the answer? Well, ultimately, I think Jesus is telling us the answer is to look at what he has done and believe in what he has done and follow him in what he has done. A very different kind of power, but ultimately the only power that can turn our sadness into joy.